0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 66 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! What's up, Chris? How much? Uh, neither of us had much in the way of a uh, tournament this weekend, but watched some some modern coverage. So. Modern coverage, yeah, definitely. I played in the Mox Monthly Which was kind of like that was sealed, right? Yeah, it was. It was like a sealed qualifier event for the Mox playoffs. I'll admit, I completely forgot about it. I got (laughs) got all the QPs sitting in my account, and I just completely forgot to play it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. it's cool. It's those are events that I frequently forget about, and I've even qualified for a playoff before that I could proceeded to forget about. Brutal. But, yeah, the, the, the online events are kind of, you know, not a huge, like, focus or anything, so it's, like, it's fun to play in them every once in a while. But I, I was able to qualify for the regionals through this MOX monthly, which is kind of cool. Played sealed, had a really busted Selesnia tokens deck. So nice. That was nice. I don't um, know if you saw uh, Pascal's tweet. I did. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> <So good. laughs> yeah. Uh, describing it won't really do it justice, but yeah, if you if, if you check out Pascal's Twitter and just see the the in the middle of a Mexican themed party yes. playing the Mox right? Uh, I've shown it to non Magic players who have appreciated it. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. So hopefully, uh, so I this time I put the Mox playoff event on my calendar. I think it's on, it's on a weekend where I don't have any other tournaments. So good. Be playing in that. Should be fun. Awesome kind of more of an aside mostly this whole weekend's been about modern yeah just a little bit um we're definitely going to be you know i i made our main topic today modern i think it's maybe mislabeled probably should be just dredge, <laughs> dredge. yeah dredge only not um not the biggest surprise going into this weekend yeah. we kind of right. had a feeling i think that you know enough people predicted that dredge was going to be a, a, a big influence on this weekend mm-hmm. and it definitely delivered on that multiple copies of dredge in the top eight I think Dredge took down third and fourth, yeah, or second and third. Rather. Two in the top four. Yeah, I think second yeah. and third, second yeah. and third. Yeah, there was one. Ian Thorpe, I think, was the person who made the finals with Dredge. And I was watching him play, and I was just really impressed by his like technical technical skill in the games, specifically with Dredge. There was one play pattern that I kept on thinking about over the course of the weekend, uh, with uh, Shriekorn and dredging that. I noticed as I was watching coverage, none of the dredge players were implementing. And that is that if you you play your card on turn one, mm-hmm. and then you know in your opponent's second main phase, you activate it. Hopefully you hit a dredger. Uh, and then you have the opportunity to again activate in your upkeep mm-hmm. before you before you draw in order to hit another dredger. Right. So a lot of people's default sequence is instep activate, untap, activate again, and they just mill over four immediately. Mm-hmm. But if you hit a dredger, like a we nip in your first activation of the Shriekorn, It's actually better to just go ahead and take your draw step and dredge, because in the very niche scenario of a prize amalgam in the last in the in the last two cards and a narcomeba in the first five cards of the dredge stinkweed nip, and then mm. you can respond to the narcomeba trigger of with a- draw step with an activation of. I the- see. The Shrikorn in order to maximize your chances of seeing having your Narcomoeba enter the battlefield and the Price Amalgam see right. it. Right? It effectively just gives you more cards in the graveyard at once. It just gives you a higher chance of getting yeah. a, a prize Amalgam out on the battlefield. Okay. And I saw so many people, you know, a bunch of people who I know are very proficient with dredge just, like, completely ignore that, and they would, like, hit their dredger, but then they would, like, mill again in their upkeep and then dredge. But the first time I saw Ian Thorpe on camera, he... He did exactly what I wanted him to do, and I was just like, I was sitting next to, the, next to Jeremy on the couch, and I was like, come on, just take your draw step, and he did it, and he dredged, and he, he hit a an Narcameba, and he put the trigger on the stack, and he activated the Shriekorn, and Beautiful. I was like, yes, it's happening. <laughs> so, shout outs to him, good job, uh, congratulations on your finals finish. Ian Thorne, Thorn is his last name. But uh, okay, yeah. Sorry, my apologies. No worries. But yeah, so I I definitely not surprised to see him have the highest finish to Dredge. I really liked his sequencing over the weekend. Cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely saw some strong play out of him. It was right. I mean, and and Dredge is one of those decks. Like you know, I've played it before. I am not gonna bring it this weekend just because I am not confident in piloting through Dredge mirrors and stuff like that. We'll talk about. My struggles in choosing a deck for this weekend, but a little <laughs> on in the episode. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of Modern to cover, so I'm sure we'll get there. We got plenty of Modern to cover, yeah. Before we hit Modern, why don't we take a second and thank our new patrons... Um, So, thanks to Sander, Derek, and Peter for uh, subbing to our Patreon. Really appreciate it. I have started making the list of addresses that people have PM'd to me, and I've set aside a block of time to start sticking tokens in envelopes tomorrow. So, those should be going out pretty soon. Coming out this week, then. Yep. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. If you would like to also become a patron, get some tokens of your own, get in on the Discord, head over to patreon.com MTG Grindcast, and we'd definitely would really appreciate the support it's super helpful helps us keep doing this every week one last thing before we get to modern we got to do a keeper mole. so this one comes from discord chat this is defjad's hand uh, playing grixis death shadow on the play game two versus bant eldrazi and so our opponent kept seven and we're on six and this six card hand is bloodcrypt street wraith thought seize dismember Lightning Bolt, and Serum Visions. So you have more experience with Grixis Death Shadow than I do, so if you want to... Yeah, so essentially what we're looking at here is our only land is Blood Crypt, so we have no access to blue mana. (laughs) He says that we have 15 blue sources in the deck, which is important to know. And we also have a Street Wraith as kind of an extra look. And then the rest of our hand is fine. Um, We have a Dismember and a Lightning Bolt as kind of our interaction pieces, and we also have a Thought Seize. Uh, Serum Visions is kind of our you know, the card that we can't cast in our hand, but also kind of the card that I would most want to cast out of a one land hand like this. Mm-hmm. The problem with this hand is that we're looking for two things. We're looking both for another land drop, mm-hmm. um, you know, which we have a lot of in our deck. Not not a ton. We're playing Death Shadow, so, you know, I don't want to overstate that. Right, um, but we get a Scry and we have the, the, we have a scry, the Street Wraith. Um, and we have the Street Wraith, for sure. But so the Serum Visions, you know, it's kind of looking for... It's when we do get to resolve our Steering visions. It's definitely going to be looking for a threat. Yep. Death shadow. It's very important that you have access to an early threat because you're not a control deck. I think a lot of players keep hands with death shadow that are just like a bunch of interaction pieces, mm-hmm. and those hands never really get there. You can interact a lot, and then your opponent's going to continue to draw you know good cards off the top of their library, <laughs> and and you don't really have a ton of threats that you're drawing to. So definitely really important to have those interaction pieces be um, supplementary to some sort of threat that's attacking your opponent. Very mm-hmm. important to Death Shadow's plan. So kind of for that reason of th- this hand is it's it's probably the closest hand that I think that we've done so far. Mm-hmm. The the upside is that if we do hit only a blue source, then we can cast our Serum Visions and hopefully dig towards our threat. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's kind of demanding that we hit our blue source pretty soon because the serum visions is is a little, you know, it's a turn delayed on, typically on getting to your uh, your blue sword, to, to the threat that you find off of those three cards, hopefully. Mm-hmm. You know, we do have the serum visions to hopefully dig us towards a threat, but the fact that, you know, we, we need to find two particular things to turn this hand is definitely a downside, but we're already on a six. I think that going to an average five here is just going to be worse than hoping to spike a blue source into a threat so i think that i think that i'm going to keep this hand but i'm definitely not happy about it yeah it's very very close right and right we're not excited to start the game with this hand certainly mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i i just think definitely like on six going down to five the the odds the play that, in particular right yeah the, the odds that we get workable mana threat and disruption mm-hmm. on a five pretty unlikely it seems less likely than our chances of you know, mising a blue source and turning the serum visions into a threat. Yeah. We haven't really considered the deck that we're playing against in particular, because right now we're mostly concerned with, is this hand going to function at all? Are we going to get to cast spells and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, having this early removal is pretty nice against Bantaldrazi, having an answer to a noble hierarch, having a thought seize for whatever they're going to. Yeah. Particularly. So we can bolt the hierarch, which is going to slow them down significantly and we can dismember their first threat. And I also, ideally we can thought seize one of their earlier, you know cards that they're going to play. Mm-hmm. So so I do think that we have the tools to make this game go longer which is going to benefit our hand in particular. Yeah. Cuz our our disruption in, lines up really well in this matchup. I think that it's it's probably a stronger indication to want to keep this hand. Yep. Also the fact that they kept 7. If we go down to 5, we're that's a lot of cards we got to trade with and yeah. we're just going to be so behind on cards. Right. Are really out to tough. win. I feel like if we mull five Really, only looks like a big Death Shadow and a Teamer Battle Rage right. that happens to get there, and that's pretty bad against Thought Not Seer, Displacer, mm-hmm. um, so many different things. So right, uh, Path to Exile, just putting <laughs> <a bunch of laughs> right. t- toughness in front yeah. of the Death Shadow. Yeah. So yeah, I um, I think that yeah, I think that this hand is a keep, but it, I think it definitely took a lot of analysis to get there. Yeah, and a similar hand on seven, like even if like. I mean, you talked about the importance of having a threat in an opening hand. So if it were a hand like this, but with workable mana, like maybe a fetch land in as our seventh card or something like that, would you not keep this on seven? I would. But but I'm leaning very hard on the Serum Visions. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so if that's some other piece of interaction, then this is if just... If the Serum Visions isn't there, then this is a mulligan gotcha. in my mind. But because the fact that this Serum Visions can hopefully dig us towards one of our threats, mm-hmm. that's a reason for me to to be more inclined to keep. Okay. And because our, you know, if our disruption lines up well enough against what we're playing against, again, I think that that's, you know, probably a reason to keep. Makes sense. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, now time to talk about dredge. Dredge! <laughs> Man, Chris is just gearing to get into some dredge. Well, it's, <laughs> it's what's been on everyone's minds yeah. and in everyone's graveyards. True. So, SCG Dallas two dredge decks in the top 8. Yeah. The day 2 meta breakdown I think is particularly interesting. Uh I like this is this is really what is driving the conversation about dredge to me is, you know, day 2 65 decks, 10 of those decks are dredge. Yeah. That's a very high percentage for modern. Absolutely. Um and then followed not actually that far behind by humans at 7 decks and bant spirits at 6. And I kind of Classify humans and Bant spirits is very close to each other. Um, so we've really, you know, if you're ready for this past weekend's meta, that means you're ready for dredge and you're ready for these disruptive ether vile aggro decks. And yeah. that's a huge chunk of the at least the winning deck meta. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that we've been we've been kind of talking about is that it feels like the field of modern decks is beginning to narrow. Yeah, it seems like the the days of Playing in a modern event and just playing against all sorts of crazy shenanigans decks, you know, day one and day two, those days are, I think, over at this point. I think that if you're in day two of a modern event, you're very, very likely to be playing against what is considered the top tier of modern at the moment. Mm-hmm. People have always kind of stated in the past, oh, you know, modern's, you know, people people knew what people meant when they said, oh, modern's modern. It's it's super wide. You're never going to know what you're going to play against. People are just going to bring their own decks. Mm-hmm but particularly, you know, at the SCG events, I think that it's pretty clear now that people are willing to drop whatever they were playing and pick up Dredge or mm-hmm. whatever they believe to be, you know, a really powerful, impactful deck in the format. Yep. Um uh so so I think, you know, now that the the field is narrowed, it almost means that you kind of have to have this slightly different approach on, you know, deck selection in modern. Uh you need to be a little more wary about just kind of being prepared for the for the top decks Mm -hmm. and and yeah i think that that was a very clear indication uh yeah 10 out of 60 is you know that's we're talking about 15 percent of the metagame being dredge right that's very very significant and now this is only you know this is the metagame that you reach once you've earned your way there by hitting day two right and (laughs) maybe the day one overall meta especially in early rounds is still very wild west oriented yeah but i i think that that narrowing definitely. You know, we see this when we have a modern pro tour. Yeah. You know, the the field is not as just off the wall as in these in, in open tournaments, and uh, I, I think similarly when you look at the winners meta game, it just naturally contracts down to some of the proven decks, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. For sure. So, yeah, I think that, you know, now that we know that about Modern and it's kind of been demonstrated over the past couple of events and everything, definitely utilize that in determining your sideboard slots. I think that it's very clear now, especially right now when it's Dredge, and Dredge is, like, the deck that you need to sideboard against always, you know? (laughs) Right. Uh, Now we're leaning more towards Rips than stonies if those are your, (laughs) questionable slots. Yeah, yeah, definitely want a lot of Rest in Pieces uh, as, you know, for this weekend. It'll be interesting to see if you know, in addition to switching to a point where people are just willing to jump on the new deck and play Dredge, Mm -hmm. if we're also switching to a point where people are more willing to be very reactive in their sideboards, because in the past, you know, when we've seen Dredge kind of like have breakout success, we've definitely seen it take a couple of weeks and a couple of tournaments for people really to be like, oh yeah, Dredge is a problem. I need to start sideboarding for it. Right. And Dredge was able to have several Mm -hmm. tournaments of dominance Um, before people really, you know, were like, oh, yeah, I need to have a solid quantity of sideboard cards for this matchup. It seems like Dredge is getting so much press this week. That's what I was going to mention. That it seems like we're setting it up for everybody to be ready for it. And Mm -hmm. I think that people are going to be faster at adapting. I think that we're just kind of slowly seeing people be faster and faster at adapting in paper tournaments. Mm -hmm. That's kind of traditionally always been the big difference between Magic Online and Paper. It's like, oh, Paper's always, like, a couple of weeks behind. Um, and while I do think that that's true to a certain extent, it's it's always going to be behind Magic Online. Mm-hmm. I think that people are just getting faster in general at making those adaptations. So I would not be surprised at all if, in Charlotte, Dredge has a really terrible weekend. Yeah, and I'm wondering... Right, because there's, there's a bunch of variables at play here. So, like, in recent... You know, in the past year or so anytime dredge has sort of broken out uh it's relatively quickly gotten stamped down Mm -hmm. but before that like you know golgari grape troll needed to get banned because that was enough to give the deck the explosiveness to just really be a deck even if people were aware of it packing good sideboard cards Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if the presence of creeping chill isn't going to like i the same sideboard strategy that worked before when I was thinking like, okay, some dredge decks are gonna show up. Let me like make my composition of my 75 into one that I'm comfortable against dredge with. That's not necessarily the same anymore yeah i'm much more likely to lose game ones with a lot of decks against dredge now that they have creeping chill so i may have to adjust my my sideboarding strategy to get my percentage back up to where i need to be and maybe people aren't quite ready for that yet true and people probably might misidentify what equates to good graveyard hate these days because Mm -hmm. when when grave troll was a significant part of the um the dredge deck, you know, back when that was legal, mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of assumed that their package of uh, surgical extractions and graft diggers' cages and like those style of hate were going to be good enough. Yeah. But Grave Troll just added this extra element to the dredge deck where. You can just get to a point where you're just casting great yes. Trolls. And that was very real. And you definitely got to spots where you just, like, cast a couple of grape Trolls and your opponent would just die to that. Mm-hmm. And they, and you're, you're typically doing that when they have something like a relic out or they have surgical extraction away your, you know, your prized amalgams and your blood gas. Mm-hmm. And then you have to do something else. Right. I think that the burn package out of Conflagrate combined with Creeping Chill is another angle that people need to make sure that they have covered in some context right well we saw we saw Ben Nikolic yeah luck out one weekend <laughs> by having a bunch of settler wreckages right right yeah it's yeah. Jeskai deck <laughs> right. that's not gonna be enough for Jeskai right. to beat yeah because now Jeskai Dresh. can just you know cast their settler wreckage and then they get burned out with the conflagrate or something right because because they've been chip shotted down to a pretty low life total if you get down to eight, you're at danger of dying from a single conflict rate. Right. It doesn't really matter how many cards are in their hand, because they can just start loaming. And in a couple of turns, if you're not closing out the game in that time, you're just going to die. Well, And if you're giving them three turns, right? Like you have to assume that at least one more Creeping Chill is going to get flipped, so you're actually... <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. So, right. So, the fact that it adds an additional element is definitely very similar to Grave Troll adding an additional element, it, especially in the post-board games of... You know, you need to make sure that you whatever angle you're taking... Like, if your angle is only, you know, taker's Cage and Surgical Extraction or, you know, something that's, like, not, like, a hard Rest in Peace or Ley Line of the Void, mm-hmm. you're, you're not necessarily going to be able to utilize those effectively enough to beat the Stretch deck. They're still going to have angles that can kill you. Right, and um, that's why, like... Zan's list with Graph Digger's cage and a couple of crypts and the sideboard of humans, because humans can say, "All right, this game is ending two turns from now. I just yeah. need to not die in the next two turns." Yeah, 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 for sure. So that that clock, in addition to the like specific, the the Digger's cage, yeah. is is a very potent strategy there. yeah because those those are mostly just going to slow down the opponent right mm-hmm. and that's what Xan is looking for he wants to slow down his opponent so that his normal game plan of an aggressive draw can can get there and win the game right and, so, and humans has the benefit of meddling mage naming conflagrate yeah, or yeah. meddling mage naming life from the loam either of which can can be powerful ways right. to shut down their, their well, auxiliary points. Humans, humans is busted. Yeah, and humans good. is busted. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that my, like, if I can give any advice to just people trying to configure their sideboards is make sure that your sideboard plans and sideboard cards fit in with your deck's plan Yeah, and have a have a good idea of how the games are going to play out post-board and how that can benefit you in some way. Definitely. Don't just, like, throw in generically good sideboard cards and assume that that's going to be enough. Agree. Yeah, like, so I mean, I was working on blue white. And came to the conclusion that it is not the deck for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like one of the things that I came to was, hey, I really don't like Search for Escanta right now. Like okay. I love Search for Escanta the card. I love playing it in mm-hmm. in Solara decks and control decks. Um, but because we're in a modern environment where I really want to sideboard and rest in peace and I'm sideboarding it in a fair amount of the time, um, for my sideboarding plans, it made a lot more sense to have a couple of Ancestral Vision as my like non planeswalker card advantage engine of choice um and so yeah making those sort of just cohesive plans so that your 60 makes sense every time you present it i think is really important yeah and and so same thing you know and like the that game is going really long with blue eye control right so that means you would never want to sideboard graph digger's cage with blue eye (laughs) control like that's that's a losing battle right so the you know rest in peace makes a lot more sense you get it out you protect it and Mm -hmm. then that's how you win the game yeah Absolutely. Um obviously Rest in Peace is just generally the most powerful graveyard hate you can play. Yeah. If you can play it. Right. Like one, that's one of the reasons to play Bant Spirits over a deck like a similar deck like humans. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I mean right. The the hard graveyard hates I think are definitely where you're gonna wanna be for this weekend. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace I think is the most consistent, although it is a little slower than Leyline. And a lot of modern decks just can't afford to have four ley lines in their sideboard. So. Yeah. And ley line is a lot better if you are a faithless looting deck and can dump the extra <laughs> yeah. ley lines that you right. draw. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, anytime that you want to be utilizing your own graveyard, right. you then can't beat it. You, you don't want to be running your own rest pieces. But it, it definitely seems like Ley line of the void mirrors are definitely like a very, I'm very familiar <laughs> with that, like, you know, quantity in, in modern. I've played a lot of Ley line of the void mirrors. And the decks could be. All sorts of things. They could be you know, hollow one, hollow one, some some Grixis some death shadow decks, death shadow dredge, living end. You know, there are a bunch of decks that are like graveyard decks that run four ley lines in the sideboard, right? Um, and those mirrors are always hilarious, but <laughs> <laughs> just casting trained armadons and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> yeah, modern, right? So yeah, and that's actually one kind of interesting thing uh, is that boy sideboarding with with uh, creeping chills in it is really hard mm-hmm. because. You know, the Creeping Shell sort of slotted into the flex slots of the deck. You're talking about Dredge? Yeah, yeah. When you okay. are playing Dredge and you're trying to make sideboarding decisions, yeah. you know, like for the Mirror, you've got to bring in four Ley Lines of the Void and all of your Nature's Claims, because you don't want <laughs> it. Right. So that's yeah. like eight cards coming into your linear deck with just no space in yeah. it at all. Right. And I'm not totally certain, like, how, what cards I mean I guess you just sort of trim a well, little Kibichil bit. Well, Crucible comes out a significant amount of the time. Okay. Especially in the ley line mirrors, Crucible is is nothing. Right. right? Makes sense. So so that card I think is is a really good example of a, as a an excellent game one card. Mm-hmm. But I think that they come out a lot especially when you're bringing in a significant number of like anti hate cards or whatever. Yeah. Um I really liked Sack Elsick's choice of just playing for assassins trophies and two nature's claims. Sure. Just like, you know, I want to be able to answer permanents. Uh, so that seems really strong. Right. Ancient Grudge seems a lot less impressive if there is the number of ley lines and rest in pieces that we kind of think are yeah. the graveyard hate to, to expect. Right. For sure. The- yeah. Grudge, I think, is, like, fine to have a couple of in your sideboard for a few matchups. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's pretty necessary against Kratk Clan Ironworks. Sure. Um, just being able to mill over a interactive piece is so crucial mm-hmm. in those matchups. Because you need an interaction piece to not die, because they're just going to be faster than you. Yeah. So you need to either draw one of your Thought Seizes or find some other card somehow, and being able to mill into an Ancient Grudge is just the, easy, the most consistent way of finding an interactive piece mm-hmm. for those matchups. Yeah. So a so slightly d- different category of sideboard but card. But yeah, don't think that that's going to be your anti-Graveyard Hate deck yeah. out of Dredge. Yeah. It's it's for It serves a different purpose. Makes sense. So looking at what decks people have been playing and stuff you know it's kind of you know, i mean the question is like what do we want to bring this this coming weekend not only like what do we want to have not only what deck do we want to run but what are our sideboard choices what are our deck compositions and stuff and i think kind of two key elements are Um, I mean, I think people will respond pretty quickly, you know, at least run the extra graveyard hate piece or or something like that. And that makes me pretty hesitant to think of any other graveyard deck as like a responsible choice for this weekend. And also, I think you do want to be on a deck that you are okay with getting paired up against Dredge. That combination of things can be kind of restrictive. Uh, I do think so Ross Miriam had a really good article today published on scg that was just about hey this is uh, how you beat dredge and like one of the points that i think is really important to take home is that the best way that you have of beating dredge is playing a deck that just has a naturally good matchup against it and so that means that you're not just giving up game one and then bringing in hate pieces like, how are you actually ever getting your matchup percentage against a deck higher than 50% by give it, by losing game one and then bringing in hate? Probably never, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, so maybe a deck like kruk Clan Ironworks, you know, it might be a great time to be on an artifact deck. Um, although Graveyard Hate is fine against kruk Clan Ironworks, although you play around it. But maybe affinity, maybe hardened scales, maybe people are going to be trimming on their stony silences and, and ancient grudges and that sort of thing. I'm not really sure what, you know, can we pick a linear deck that comes from a different school of magic that... I, I mean, I suggested to Jeremy that he should play affinity this weekend. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely one of the... People are definitely going to be sewing out some of their stony silences for rest in pieces. Sure. And I think particularly affinity is going to be better than hardened scales, mm-hmm. because hardened scales definitely relies a lot on the graveyard and cards like rest in peace and Leyland of the void are very good against them yeah so if we're trying to juke sideboard cards then that's not where you want to be but i do think that like just general affinity is going to be pretty good for the reason that you're talking about Mm -hmm. but but the kind of the the one hesitation that i have over that that dylan brought up recently is that i think affinity and this is going to be a really crazy statement is just kind of falling behind in terms of modern power level Mm -hmm. And it feels kind of crazy to say that, you know, just because yeah, it's a Mox Opal deck. It's because totally it's a Mox Opal deck, it's been busted in Modern for as long as Modern has existed. Yeah, but we um, just don't see it. But yeah, we're not seeing it, and we're not also we're also not seeing a ton of dedicated hate for it, right? I mean, we see the occasional, you know, like infinity buster or whatever in the sideboard but it's not it's not significantly everywhere people aren't stretching to like put sh- 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 like shatterstorm in their sideboard exactly or like and that. i think that part of the reason is that is it, they just don't need to i yeah. think that the decks that are being played in modern right now are so generically powerful that affinity is just kind of like lagging behind a little bit mm-hmm. and and the only deck that in terms of power level alone isn't really that strong that is still a a consistent player in Modern is Jeskai Control, mm-hmm. and the the power level of Jeskai Control is not there. It's just playing a bunch of interactive cards, yeah. but the plan of Jeskai Control works really well in general in Modern because of how the cards interact with the format, and also Jeskai Control's plan just kind of inherently beats up on Affinity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody knows that the matchup is horrendous. You know, so I think that the decks that Affinity normally preyed on, such as decks like Humans and, and Hollow One and, and these other, like, linear decks that Affinity was always just kind of a turn faster than. <laughs> that's just no longer true, I think, that They've caught up. They've just, like, caught up in power level, and the power level of Modern has now moved pe- beyond, mm. I think, what Affinity can generally keep up with. Interesting. So, so you know, Affinity might not be as good of a choice because of that factor, just because Affinity might just be behind the curve now on on, on power level and Modern and just, like, not a deck that I would want to play. Mm-hmm. But that said, I think that if you, you know, if you took Affinity and you, like, geared it sideboard really well, like, maybe played several Rest in Pieces or something in your Affinity sideboard, (laughs) there could definitely be some, like, good opportunities for that. Outside of that, like, avoiding sideboard cards, I think that... It's, it feels like so many other of the linear decks also get hosed by Rest in peace, like crackling Ironworks. Right. Although, yeah. I definitely am never going to sit here and say, try Ironworks this weekend, because you as a player know whether or not you're <laughs> capable of taking Ironworks to the tournament this weekend and being right. successful with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, if you have plenty of experience with Ironworks and you say, yeah, I don't really mind playing against a couple of extra Rest in Pieces, because it's, you know, if those, if those slots were going to be Stony Silences anyways, then this is just an upgrade for the deck. So. <laughs> yeah. Ironworks might be just an okay choice because it's built with Graveyard Hate in mind, certainly. Mm-hmm. So, cards like Stony shut the deck down, Rest in Peace just says, like, find an answer to me before you kill me, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, s- some of the cycling cards don't really work. But, but other Graveyard Hate, you know, Surgical, slightly better against KCI than, than uh, it is against Dredge, but things like you know the one-shot things the the relics the tormods crypts and that sort of thing are are pretty pretty anemic against a deck like kci so yeah right right For really sure. depends on what people are running mm-hmm. and it and, and so like if you use the graveyard but if it's in a way that's specifically not affected by graft diggers cage and not affected very as much by those like one-shot effects then that's a place that i'm not totally uncomfortable being because different decks run different graveyard hate so yeah exactly and I'm still very excited to play Storm this weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, that is a deck that yeah. uses the graveyard, but... But after a sideboard, you don't care about the graveyard, yeah. really. Um, and you you have several plans that, you know, your opponent casts a, a rest a piece or they have a ley line, and, and you just are expecting that, and very happy to ignore that, and go on with, like, an empty plan, or something similar. Mm-hmm. So, right. So, I think that I'm, I'm very excited about that deck in particular because it has the capacity to ignore graveyards after sideboard. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not worried about all the graveyard hate that's going to be there this weekend. Right. Because it's very rare that they're going to rest in peace game one. So. Yeah, exactly. Because game ones game ones are just so free with Storm. You just, you just win every time. <laughs> yeah. Unless they're playing humans. Uh, unless they're playing humans, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, you know, we, we have a, a, a decent number of answers to whatever they're doing. It's not great, but... Yeah, it's not great. It's not the worst. <laughs> so speaking of humans, like humans seems like a totally... I continues to just be a totally acceptable choice in yeah. general. Well, I think that one of the things that happened this weekend is that so many people just assumed that humans was falling off the radar a little bit. Mm-hmm. That humans, I think for the Dallas weekend, was not tuned towards really at all. Mm-hmm. And the deck humans had been so extraordinarily tuned towards for so long in modern that i think that once that happened the players that did decide to play humans that weekend had a lot of success because everybody was just like you know it's humans they were worried about dredge a little bit more and they were worried about just kind of other stuff and they were like yeah dude humans has been around forever but i've I've been fighting against it mm-hmm. so i think that the fact that humans wasn't as quite as tuned towards for this particular weekend might have been it uh, definitely helped its success for that weekend. It, I mean, it put three copies in the top eight. And I think there are a lot of factors for that. I think that there are the factors that, you know, A, it wasn't tuned towards. B, a very large number of people play humans in, in a format. Sure. Or in, in a tournament. So I think that, you know, just a certain number of them are going to have success. Yep. But having three... Players out of the seven in day two, right? Like top that eight. is a pretty significant percentage for sure. So yeah. the, the, humans definitely did well on day two. Mm-hmm. I think by those numbers, which I is think something to pay attention to. I think there may be a couple of factors here. Which is number one, the types of like like one one of the factors that especially makes me pretty okay with bringing humans this coming weekend is that the cards that are good against dredge are the complete opposite of the cards that are good against humans Mm -hmm. you know lightning bolts is the best card against humans and it is the worst card against dredge right um and so like maybe humans is kind of the linear way to attack people spending extra energy on fighting dredge um and the second thing is humans can win a game one against dredge yeah Uh, it's very possible you know like at the end of the day it's dredge versus humans is two aggro decks bashing into each other Mm -hmm. and the board that dredge makes you know while they're going pretty wide it's a bunch of 1-1 flyers two ones that can't block in three threes Mm -hmm. and you know they they make those creatures for free like blah 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 they cheat on mana they cheat on cards but if you're just making some giant guys that can block really well and then attacking with a 5-5 mantas rider every turn yeah if you're keeping that conflagrate from happening you can just win that game yeah for sure i I felt like that matchup has come down to a couple of different things if they can get a big conflagrate off Humans loses. Yep. If they have an extraordinarily large stretch turn pretty early with, like, a uh, cathartic reunion or something, humans Mm -hmm. loses. Especially if you don't have Um, an ether vial to get guys out. Right. Yeah, but taking those scenarios kind of out of... Out of the equation a little bit, I think that Humus definitely has a very real shot to beat, you know, a couple of dudes that Dredge can present pretty early. Mm-hmm. So if we can lock out Conflagrate and we have some some way of getting in damage, then all of a sudden humans is looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, some definitely, you know, some annoying things that can stop are, like, Manus Rider beats or, like, just a just a Sync imp or something that they play can be really annoying. Sure. So, but, you know, if you, like, Reflect Mage at a good time, that can equate to 10 more damage or something, which is crazy. But yeah, a lot of the time, the way that I expect the matchup to normally play out is that it's generally a race. It's generally what you described as the, the creature decks just kind of bashing into each other. And from what I've heard is that Creeping Chill pushes that race very in the favor of hmm. Dredge. Okay. That because it's generally a race and the, the players are generally racing, then all of a sudden if you flip over two Creeping Chills, then it's sure. just over. You sure. Know? So that's kind of what I've heard about the matchup. I haven't played it a ton, but but that kind of makes sense to me where there's a lot of scenarios where Dredge auto wins and then a few scenarios where Dredge still wins even though it's like kind of close. Okay. So I think that it is definitely favored for Dredge, but I you know, I don't think that Humans is out of it by any context. And I I definitely think that you know, Xan was super rewarded for putting in mm-hmm. graveyard hate. You just, you know, having letting them have access to their graveyard is you know, I think going to be a losing proposition more often than not. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that now that enough, you know, humans players are going to look at Zan's deck list, and I think that's going to be a very common thing to see for this weekend is some torment scripts. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that that does significantly change the percentages of that matchup. Yep. Um, so. And remember that you can respond to the creeping chill trigger by exiling their graveyard, yeah. right? And, and then they don't get the the drain three, which can easily be the difference there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that makes a lot of sense. What do we think about these? sideboarding strategies i like post board we saw a lot of cards come in in the humans decks they're bringing in static casters obviously because that solves narcombeva and blood gas pretty permanently Um, also bringing in you know obviously graveyard hate but then the oriac champions to block prized amalgams yeah. and get that life gain i think to offset the just getting murdered by creeping chill yeah what is the... So so? do we have, like, a particular, like, strategy philosophy that's guiding what we're taking out? Do we know what we're taking out in these uh, against Dredge now? I think it's pretty play-draw dependent. I could see arguments for, you know, trimming down on, you know... I don't really want any um, Sail Freebooters in my deck. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, maybe you'll hit a card, but mostly it's just going to be a 1-2 flyer. I'm much more interested in cards like um, Meddling Mage that can lock out something specific. Mm-hmm. From you know being able to cast from the graveyard, so yeah, I definitely like taking out those on the draw. I'll take out Thalia's. Um, okay, because the... they've already cast cathartic. But, but uh, yeah, on the play, I'm very happy to have it in Thalia's. Sure. So I'd have to look at the you know your 75 and and be mm-hmm. able to talk about it from there. But um, I think mostly you're just kind of taking out cards that are bad in that in particular situations. Sure. Um, but so like you know what the the static casters and the the Oriac champions say to me is kind of like we're prepping for a relatively long game like we're probably going to turn six seven eight cards are going into the graveyard and we want to deal with them by getting rid of the graveyard but we have tools for when these creatures come into play yeah i i definitely understand that logic but i actually haven't done a lot of personal testing with it Mm -hmm. and i think that the two main strategies that i would i would try out in that matchup would be the strategy that you're talking about where we planning to go long and we're planning to invalidate a lot of their angles mm-hmm. through our Staticasters and Meddling Mages and Gadak Teague and stuff like that, where hopefully we can get to the point where we've just kind of like locked them out of doing the crazy stuff that they can do. Yeah. The other angle, though, that I would maybe even try first is on the play after sideboard, having minimal disruption, but really, really trying to go hard on the beat down strategies of humans mm-hmm. and trying to close out the game before they can get their feet on the ground. Yeah, I think that the plan that I think that I would like better than Oriok Champion would be, you know, still have some number of disruptive elements, but really trying to make sure that you still have access to all of your Thalia's Lieutenants and your Champion of the Parishes and your... And your Manus riders, these mm-hmm. cards that really facilitate explosive draws. Because if we are bringing in cards like Ariak Champion, we have to be cutting. We're not going to. Yeah, we're muscle. not going to have space for our probably Ortholius Lieutenant is what we end up trimming, mm-hmm. and I'm not excited about that. Right. So I think that in order to really answer that question, I'd have to do some testing. But those are the things that I'm thinking about. Okay. So That would be what I recommend to the humans players out there testing for this weekend: is grab a buddy who has Dredge and test out post board both of those scenarios. One which is really dedicated towards trying to lock them out as much as possible, and the other one which is more dedicated towards making sure that you can still get them dead while having a few incidental, disruptive elements. Right, and specifically try them each out on the play or the draw and and, right. and see, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Like, on the play, uh, Champion of the Parish into Thalia is a really good start. Yeah. And on the draw, yeah, you're, you're probably not beating them that way. Right. But for sure. But I, yeah, but cutting cards like Thalia's Lieutenant in favor of things like Oriax champion and is it Stata Caster? those cards are so low impact if you're the beatdown yeah so really determining whether or not you can consistently be the beatdown is going to be important to determine whether or not you want to have those cards in your deck because otherwise you're going to you're going to have a game where you you know you're you're doing really well and you're you're the beatdown and then you draw you know, and is it staticaster, and then mm-hmm. you know, an uh, RA champion, and you're like, this this is off plan, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I don't know I mean maybe they were cutting like a couple of images or something like that. Cause mm-hmm. I assume that once you have champion, like you're very interested in putting some plus one plus one counters on there somehow. But images are effectively more lieutenants once you're on that that cycle of lieutenants. So sure. so I right. don't really know, you know, what what people have been settling on, but that all makes sense to me. Let's see, other stuff from the tournament uh, I mean, congrats to Zan. Definitely Zan was on point. Did a great eight. job. Good job to Cat, who start had a had a tough start and then just yeah. rattled off a million wins. She, I think in she went row. from o two to eight and two. Yeah, so that's pretty sweet. Like that's. I mean, honestly, like the kind of like mental toughness that it takes to to do something like that yeah. is pretty impressive. For uh, sure. You know, you get wondering like, did I bring the right deck? Or my side is my sideboard misbuilt? Am I just <laughs> like like? But right. to just start winning from there is awesome. So yeah, that's cool. We uh, didn't get much of a showing from it this weekend, but the Arclight Phoenix deck's still sparking some conversation. Uh, I know that a, at least one blue red one showed up in the deck dump this that that dropped yeah. today. So I some thoughts on that deck. I think that the cards in that deck are very powerful. I think that, <laughs> that R- Runaway fiery Steam temper can... has been a long time coming to oh the yeah, modern players of- for sure. Uh, Yeah, those cards work perfectly together. I think that Arclight Phoenix is very clearly very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. I think people really underestimate how many of those you can consistently get in your graveyard. Yeah. Just like two of those triggered consistently on turn three to four is very powerful. Um, Well, that's... That part is, it's not consistent to get two on turn three or four. That's a, that's a pretty big ask, I would think. But yeah, sure. But yeah, but, I guess that yeah. I'm not saying that that is happening consistently, but like you when know, you do, it's it's very difficult. And also, to keep I think that with. getting two in your graveyard happens more than you might think. Okay. Uh, just with the from what I've seen, mm. the problem is that I I think that the mono red version is bad just okay. because it has too much fluff and its plans in particular matchups in modern. It's just not doing something powerful enough for mm-hmm. the modern format. I think um, there was one in the deck drop deck dump with needle drop in it so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where they're reaching for these, these aren't modern power level cards right yeah. it's just an age old trap that people fall into where they have these new good cards and mm. then they put a bunch of bad cards in with them and try to make something cohesive mm-hmm. i don't think that's particularly necessary and i think that limiting yourself to mono red is very unnecessary in a format like modern <laughs> in order for a for a deck to i think be able to compete against what is happening in Modern right now, you need to be able to branch out into another color just to have access to, to more cards that are potentially going to be able to help you in certain scenarios. Yeah. But I do think that there's something there, and I would not be surprised at all if three months from now, somebody busts out with some amazing Steamkin deck, mm-hmm. uh, Runaway Steamkin deck, and, and people look at it and go like, oh yeah, this is the build. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, you know. And I, I won't be surprised at all when somebody breaks it and figures it out. And Because I think that these cards are very powerful. I think that there's definitely something to them. I just don't think that we're quite there yet. It might it might be a couple sets from now. Mm-hmm. It could be several years from now. Who knows? Right. I mean, um, Modern is the format. You know, like, Arclight Phoenix, as a card, says, do this thing and I'll pay you for it. Right. Like, yeah, play yeah. a bunch of spells and you get a reward. And, like, Modern is the format where, of that... Of like yeah. do a narrow thing and do make all of the cards in your deck do that and right. you will be able sure. to, like that's why we have dredge that's why we have affinity like you get enough cards that you can pull that off um, and the arc light phoenix coming into play is a big enough reward for something that's yeah. pretty easy to do right absolutely so I do think that these cards are are good enough and I think that they're but I think that one of two things is true either the card pool doesn't have exactly what it needs yet to make it mm-hmm. modern viable or we just haven't figured out what a combination of cards looks like yeah. It's also tough to decide, like, I'm going to play this Bedlam Reveler Arclight Phoenix deck when everybody's bringing all of their good okay, Yeah. Yeah, so. right. Getting your Arclight Phoenix's Surgical Extractions does not feel good. <sighs> <Ugh>. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to cast Bedlam Reveler when they have a ley line in yeah, play. Yeah, not going to work. Yeah. I do um, like the... I do... I, I, I'm more inclined to go... In the direction that the blue red deck is doing, because you have thing in the ice as just a self-contained I really like the thing plan. in the ice version. Yeah. I think that that's definitely a step closer to what I like to see. I mm-hmm. think that thing in the ice is is modern power level absolutely worthy. proven. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, that the the deck that's running both thing in the ice and the phoenix is I think is is definitely really strong. Yeah. So too bad the phoenix isn't a horror. <laughs> to go, uh, but you can flip the thing yeah. in the ice and bring back the Ark Phoenixes in combat. is a it horror. It is a horror. Yo, Although yeah, Although you kind of want to bounce it <laughs> yeah, 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 I was going to say. It's a Nambo that it's a horror, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, that's funny. I mean, you do get in for like eight that turn oh, yeah, yeah no, with the no, no, Bedlam Reveler. It's, so. it's good. Yeah. They just die most of the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so those decks are sweet. And definitely, I, at, at least our, our friend Tucker will be paying attention to the blue-red card. The blue-red, <laughs> the blue-red version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting how the classic had no dredge and no dredge hate yeah but it just makes sense to me the classic is made up of people who did not do well in the main event sure and the people who did not do well in the main event were not playing dredge and we not, not playing dredge dredge hate. so they were just operating in a fundamentally different metagame right from the people who made yeah. day two so so while that does kind of look weird based on what we expect out of a modern tournament mm-hmm. it's good to contextualize that in the in the sense that yeah, these, these were all the people who weren't bringing Dredge hate or playing Dredge. So, Yeah. Yep. I mean, part of me wants to be like, but, you know, didn't people pick up Dredge after all the noise it was making on day one? And maybe they did and just, like, natu- there weren't enough and it got naturally hated out. Maybe players who picked it up picked it up without enough experience with the deck to really convert and play it to its, its full potential. You know, there's all probably, sorts of probably reasons. Probably a lot of factors. Yeah. I think you might be overestimating the number of people who can just have a dredge deck ready when they didn't for the the first day of Right, right. That's part of it, too. Absolutely. Um, but yeah a- And the Classic is not a high-enough-stakes tournament that people are going to, like, make yeah, sure d- that... you d- drop, you know, $400 on a, a new dredge deck or whatever. Right, right. Even, yeah. like, oh, I have most of dredge, but I don't have Life from the Loams. I'm just going to play my modern deck that I played this weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, like So definitely not taking the Classic results too seriously. Um, modern Challenge also happened. There was definitely some dredge present in that interestingly won by merfolk this is so nikachu i think is like a merfolk content creator like he exclusively plays merfolk he makes merfolk videos and that sort of thing um but so he he's seven and owed the modern challenge i guess merfolk kind of makes sense in a dredge meta you just do a linear thing make your guys unblockable and you're half a turn faster than dredge i'm not saying play merfolk but linear decks that naturally match up well against dredge seem like an okay choice if you're playing against Dredge. Yeah. Kraken with Cremator decks exist now, apparently. <laughs> I was seeing some streams of, of that. Um, didn't it, like, win some, like, modern PBTQ or something, Maybe, I, I'm sure it won some, I don't know. I, I know it's 6-1 to the Modern Challenge here. Okay, so. that's probably it. So. Yeah. yeah, I think it, it might have won the Modern Challenge or, or something similar, but... Yeah, so Impervious Great Worm, Modern... Yep. Not playable. I uh I really want to see a deck that just goes all in on that card, but it's, it's also playing you know a bunch of Impervious Great Worms and Emrakul, <laughs> and we're also playing through the breach. Right, because Cremator. Uh, Worldline Worm discard a <laughs> card know? at random. You gotta get your hand empty. Except no, for that thing. it's tough to set up. It it's is for not sure. easy. <laughs> yeah. And and it's definitely hard to make a synergistic deck with things like through the breach and that card because then you're just gonna have a through the breach in your hand right when you're trying to cremate somebody Uh, (laughs) and you also you have to have dealt some like that's why i think it's in these zoo shells is Mm -hmm. because even when you pull it off that's 16 damage if they're not a fetch land mana base you might just not have killed them yeah exactly i'm gonna do i did what my deck wants to do you take 15 (laughs) and i go okay now i die die. and then they swarm off and kill you or whatever (laughs) yeah like (laughs) dredge dredge is gonna like Take three damage from its lands and then gain six life from creeping shells. Right, 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 care. right. Yeah. So that's why I think that it is in these zoo shells yeah, that, that have lightning sense. bolts and stuff to go along with it. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Yeah, I mean, any more thought you? So you're definitely on storm for this. I'm weekend. on storm. Yeah, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I don't have my seventy five quite ready. But I will. I will post it on on our Patreon yep. uh, by the end of the week. I the past couple of days for me have been very school-oriented, but the next couple of days are going to be very storm-oriented, preparing for Charlotte this weekend. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I have locked up all of the plans that I want in the sideboard. I've got this really big Word document that I've been flushing out with all of my thoughts and stuff that Ooh. I'll probably end up posting on our Patreon as well. That's awesome. Okay. Um, so for the folks in our Patreon, keep an eye out for that coming coming soon. Perfect. And that's just going to be kind of like pretty much all of my preparation for this deck, summed up and and my thoughts on like particular matchups and my in my 75 and everything so great well I'll look forward to that for sure yeah um, very, very excited about it and I think that it's just I'm, I'm mostly having fun doing it just because I think it's helping me structure my testing for this mm-hmm. for this tournament I think that this is really probably the first time that I've really gone deep on an archetype for several weeks leading up to an event I, I think that my most of my experience playing decks has been you know, figure out what deck I want to play frantically throughout the week, and then on, like, Thursday or something, I'm like, all right, this is the deck I want to play, and then I play it that weekend. I'm familiar with that <laughs> process. <laughs> yeah. But it feels nice just kind of, like, knowing well in advance what I want to play and not really being worried about all the graveyard hate that people are presenting, mm-hmm. even excited that a lot of people were going to be playing Dredge. Yep. As, a, as that's a good matchup. So, so yeah, it's the whole testing process for me this week has been pretty new... In that context, and I think that I'm learning a lot from it and hope to continue to to utilize that in the future. Cool. Well, hopefully next week our episode will be very focused on Storm as a result of (laughs) results from this coming weekend. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, so, I am kind of in the opposite situation right now, kind of trying to figure out a deck. Um, you, yeah, so you wanted to lock in blue-white yeah, control. Yeah, my, my, my plan was, you know, lock in blue-white control. And mm. honestly, if you are a blue-white aficionado, like, I don't think that that's the worst sure. possible choice. Especially, you know, I mean, I think creeping chill certainly makes the dredge matchup worse because game 1 you can't just rely on terminusing them out of the game mm-hmm. you get you have a whole host of things to worry about but you do have access to the great hate cards in the sideboard and stuff i just could not get the deck to work for me i i just it felt so clunky at like the early game just felt like you were so all in on getting a terminus to miracle against creature decks and if you didn't get that to happen you just got run over and obviously like playing actual wrath of god effects to supplement really doesn't help that very much especially right now where all the creatures just come back from the graveyard i i I felt like all the cards cost so much mana the cheap cards like path to exile like you don't want to cast early in the game um anytime your opponent actually disrupted you with something like Athalia, it was just it felt horrible i just couldn't couldn't make it happen like you had games where you you got through the early game But then you just didn't draw Planeswalker, so you didn't have a plan anymore, and then they just get you. You know, people have made it work, I just did not feel comfortable playing it, and I I still haven't found the reactive modern deck that I'm okay with running. I want to have a plan, and I want to, you know, I I don't want to, like, look at my opening hand and think, I hope that these cards line up against what my opponent is doing to me. And that's how I felt every game with Blue-White, just thinking, like, I guess, you know, if they play the guys, if they play the creatures that these spells remove and a spell for this thing to counter, then I'll be great. But it was just daunting. Every game, you start out so far behind and then you just have to climb back into it. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just weak-minded and I need my fair share of free wins in order to play Magic. <laughs> sure, but, yeah. Uh, playing a deck with no free wins in Modern is just not something that not, I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm definitely with you. I think that... Especially right now in modern, mm-hmm. and this I kind of feel is always true in modern, but you know sometimes less true than than elsewhere. But I feel like especially right now, if you're not doing something proactive mm-hmm. and powerful, then you're going to be in a really rough spot. Yep. Um. I I think that uh this is true in certain phases of modern, and I think that right now we're in one of those phases where, uh, if you just need a certain level of proactivity in order to be able to keep up with the power level of what's happening in Modern in in addition to uh, the proactivity that everybody else is presenting. Right. So I think that, you know, if you don't have that proactivity and you're trying to be the reactive deck, then you're you're in a really rough spot. And particularly in your case, since you're trying to figure out all of the interactions, you Mm -hmm. know, because you're picking up the deck relatively new... And you know weren't super familiar because I'm sure that there are blueet control players who are like yeah all right in this matchup I need to do this and then this matchup I need to do this but that takes so long to get to mm-hmm. and and we're in like the worst possible environment to learn those things right yeah. now so true <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and and people were doing nuts things against me like like just things that I was not prepared for I I, I played against Harden scales mm-hmm. and mostly it felt pretty easy but then my opponent played a lanoir reborn and i thought what the-? like this is the land comes into play tapped taps for a green mana and has graft one <laughs> uh and and so i was like that's that's not something i've seen before and then they played animation module and i was like all right yeah because i mean animation module is a pretty standard card in that deck yeah. and i didn't quite figure it out until my opponent activated animation module targeting lanoir reborn so that puts a plus one, plus one counter onto the Lanoari reborn, allows him to make a one, one that he then grafts onto <laughs> to make a three, three, cause he had a hardened scales. And then that triggers the animation module again. So he makes another one, one. So just like, I can't keep this board clear because yeah. anytime he feels like it, he can activate his animation module to put four power of guys into play. <laughs> right? Yeah. I just lost. Yeah, no I, number of Terminuses are going to be able to go. No. that And <laughs> I couldn't, like, I just, all of my Stony Silences got Nature's Claimed, and I just got leveled really hard. Yeah. And that just, it felt like that was happening a lot. Part of it was just, like, I wasn't familiar with all the weird things people were doing in order to keep up with Blue Eye Control, and so I, I wasn't doing things several turns in advance getting ready for them. But also, just, like, people were, <laughs> were doing such a variety of things that it was hard to line up over the course of such a long game to make sure everything lines up. Obviously, once you have a Teferi out for several turns, you're fine. Yeah. But getting to that point is extremely difficult. So right, so, right now I'm kind of thinking, you know, Lee tried to, to convince me to go with Storm, and I think I would just make, uh, too many mistakes going into that. I don't know, I'm going to have a whole Word document for you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, I, that's definitely... It's it's on my list of decks to spend some serious time with so that then I can pick them up when I get into a spot where I, I want to be able sure. to. Um, I think I may just end up on Tron this weekend with all the main deck relics. And, you know, Tron can beat anything if it gets good draws. So I don't think it's badly positioned right now, and especially because you can just be the deck playing all the main deck graveyard hate. So... Uh, as long as i can find a tron deck then that's probably what i'll be playing this week. Tron is a pretty good choice um you have really good plans against dredge mm-hmm. and um it's just a powerful deck right yeah it's just you know talking about things that are on 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 modern power level i think tron fits that I bill i think casting karn on turn 3 right qualifies <laughs> yeah so yeah can't can't really go too wrong with that for nope. sure I mean, it's not, like, an exciting or particularly ballsy choice or anything, but I know how to play it, yeah. and the cards are very good. So. Yep. so that's probably good. We probably don't need to really talk about standard too much today. Yeah. I we mean... Think we covered a lot of that, uh, I think, last last episode. Yeah. Uh, not a ton has changed. I think uh, the arena has definitely started to really solidify itself as a... Uh, a place where the standard meta kind of develops, actually. Yeah I, think, yeah, I think it's definitely... I've seen a lot of praise for it from a lot of big people on twitter mm-hmm. so it, it definitely is um bolstered my faith in an arena becoming a, a, a real platform for for standard yeah um, so i mean the, the concern is definitely that like the ladder play and stuff is not developed to a point like you know hearthstone is has developed to a point now i was talking to my friend adrian who is really serious hearthstone player at times or i think right now it's gotten a little frustrating so he's out of it but he has been very very serious like top 200 legend and you know hearthstone ladder you get to the point where you're a top 200 legend and you mostly are playing against professional players yeah um and so you know that you're getting good gameplay experience because you're playing against the best of the best (laughs) definitely we are not at that stage yet on the arena ladder right um but Owen has been tweeting about how much he's been enjoying the program. Sam Black has said, you know, hey, I guess I'm going to start spending money on Arena now because it's time to start testing standard. So if those guys are on it, Mm -hmm. and those are the types of people that I end up playing against, then 100 percent... Yeah, I I don't... I think that there seems to be a general notion that the expected average player is going to be worse on Arena than it is on Magic Online. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that that's true. particularly. Um, I think that due to the fact that the ladder isn't really well implemented, there might be some more mismatched matchups. You might be trying to play test standard and then you play against somebody who's still building their collection or something like Mm -hmm. that. So I think that I agree that there's definitely a lot of room for improvement in terms of, you know, structuring that ladder in order to pair similar players against similar players. But but I I, I think that I'm just, in general, pretty happy about where it's going, just in, in the sense of you yep. know, people seem to really enjoy the user interface which is well in the streams probably so much biggest, healthier right the biggest now. selling point is that people it's just like a clean easy to digest user interface for both the players and in order to watch it yeah yeah um, you go on on twitch now and people are watching people play magic yeah. in a way that just wasn't true yeah. when we only had magic online for sure um and and you know streamers variety streamers streamers who traditionally have done other games are coming into it and and bringing audiences to it and it's just It's a good thing, and it's also an entertaining thing. I've definitely tuned to some streams of people who are not really used to playing Magic, and so some of the variants are things that they're not particularly equipped to deal with, and also some of the just getting crushed by people who knew what they were doing and outplayed them. Uh, It's kind of fun to see people who were not used to that happening because they play totally different kinds of games and uh, maybe are not... Ascribing blame for their loss to the correct places and maybe getting salty about certain things that were actually within their control, yeah. um, but but it is fun to watch magic getting played on arena, and I think that's a really big deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, makes me excited about our game. Yeah, it it it's very heartening. Um, Standard in general. We talked a little bit last week about like winning the the green black mirror and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, our friend Sawyer just went and won a PPTQ where he main decked Carnage Tyrants over Vraska's. Excellent. Um, so, Did he have any... Um... I'm going to blank on the name of this card, but the six mana artifact. The Immortal Sun. The Immortal Sun. So he said that he was going to run one, but could not find one. Oh, no! <laughs> which sucks, because I have a one in my I have multiple... I, I lent him several of the cards for the deck, and I just didn't give him an Immortal yeah, yeah. Sun. But he ran a Karn instead, and he said oh. it was very good. So, sure, fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Immortal Sun is sweet. It doesn't get killed by Vraska. I think that there are like now two primary builds of green-black. There's like the Vraska... Um, Vivian Reed, Vivian Reed, um, right. Vivian Reed. And Vraska builds of mm-hmm. like you know creatures and then planeswalkers. Yep. But then the other build is yeah definitely like Fine finality, carnage tyrant, immortal, immortal sun, which yeah. I I kind of like. But the problem for me is that the immortal sun is so susceptible to assassin's trophy. Mm-hmm. So I personally I think I'd rather just be on the planeswalker plan of have the planeswalkers and then make sure I'm I'm saving a, a trophy for their yeah. Um, card or something and losing out on vivian reed in the control matchups is a pretty big deal yeah like allowing uh, yourself to be vulnerable to niv mizzet and crackling drake and stuff where you just had a, an insanely good answer to them mm-hmm. is not my favorite thing in the Agreed. world one thing that i really want to try out a little more is uh basically like i i, I would like to try maybe green white maybe splashing for finality Um, And then you can do goofy stuff like Ancera's Wings against the red decks, but one card that I really think is very cool, especially in the mirror matches, is Assure Assemble, just because if you get a Carnage Tyrant in play, even if they are also playing Carnage Tyrant, you get to make yours indestructible and just beat them in a fight, Yeah. Um, and then your Carnage Tyrant is bigger, whatever. Also, in the mid-game, Vine Mare with a plus one plus one counter on it, just nothing beats it yeah yeah it it, it it gets through all the explore guys and blah 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 so that's that's a card i definitely want to try out a little bit but that's that's when i have some time to work on standard a little <laughs> <more>. <laughs> yeah definitely so but yeah yeah now we have and this is kind of do we want to what do you think yeah i yeah so as so kind of one of the big news stories from this past weekend was Todd Stevens being banned from Sarcy events for three years and also fired from his job due to allegations of sexual misconduct. So that's, you know, that's a pretty big topic that came out of last weekend that has definitely gotten a lot of press on social media and everything. I guess it's probably appropriate for us to, you know, make some court of sort of statement about it. I mean, and, right, this is not, like, a thing we've prepared in any particular <laughs> way or anything. This yeah. is just us talking about it because you know where we go to these tournaments we have consumed Todd Stevens's content like yeah you know I've, I've interacted with Todd Stevens quite a bit right so you, like like Holland <laughs> says like you've teamed with Todd Stevens like right. this is not something we can separate ourselves from so. yeah I I want to start off by I just want to say that I'm proud of Starts of the games for taking a, a hard stance on this issue sure um, I'm also proud of the women who came forward about this issue I'm glad that they felt that they were able to do that mm-hmm. I think that's very important I, it's not easy to do and, and anyone who has had this sort of stuff happen to them and hasn't come forward, like, that's not, like, it is your choice and there's no shame for not being able to do it. Right. We, I don't but. think that we should have any expectations that people have to come forward. Right. That's, that's their decision to make. And kind of not anybody else's decision to make for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I am proud of the women who decided to come forward about yeah. that. Um, I, I believe that it was their own choice, and I'm, I'm glad that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, I've been thinking a lot about this whole scenario And I think one general piece of advice that I want to give to all of our listeners is that if you see a friend of yours who is acting inappropriately in any context, I think that it is crucial that you, as their friend, come up to that specific person and let them know that their actions are unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that is extraordinarily difficult to do. To see a friend of yours, see somebody who is you, who you, close to you and, res- and who you respect, um, you know, take actions that you, you believe that you can laugh off or whatever and, you know, try to ignore. Um, but I think it, it is very crucial to talk to that individual and let them know that their actions are unacceptable. Mm. I think that that is something that, hap- that, that, that happens without anybody addressing that person in particular, And I think that that creates a culture where the person who is making these inaction, these actions who are, that are very bad and unacceptable to, you know, if nobody comes up and talks to them about it, they're just going to, you know, they'll just keep doing it. They're just going to keep doing it. So I think that, I think that it's definitely on us as a community to, to make sure that we are creating an environment that is open and, you know, makes everybody comfortable in that environment. Mm -hmm. So if you are seeing any behavior that you believe is unacceptable. Whether or not it's your your friends or just anybody else, I think that it's important to, to let that person know that their actions are unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that doesn't happen enough. And I think that there are definitely people who see these actions and you know have some sort of desire to ignore it or whatever. But I think that by doing so, you are, by not doing so, that is detrimental to, to the community that we're trying to build. Yeah, I, I think it is really important for the community that we have to be a safe place for anyone to come play magic, to come to hang out after playing magic right. and, you know, there there are there are reasons why magic tournaments are vastly disproportionately male and you know, some some of what we've seen on Twitter after this stuff, you know, is kind of like, oh, okay, now I understand why magic tournaments are disproportionately male. Yeah, I think we do have responsibility as individuals to, you know, if you see something, Mm -hmm. do something about it. Right. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if you're in a position to talk to that person directly, I think that's just going to be so much more impactful than just kind of the general public statements that you can make. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't made any public statements about this in particular. Probably not going to outside of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Just because I don't think it's my place to say much um but i I do want to say that i am you know i am i am proud of of star city games for their actions that they took on this issue and i am proud of the women that came forward about it yeah and the the scg response is very it's it's so easy for companies to sweep things under the rug to ignore things and Mm -hmm. and definitely props to them for actually dealing with this um and decisively yeah um so yeah i think that that's about all we should say on that subject yeah but definitely wanted to say something about it yeah makes sense to me um all right so should we finish up with a patreon question of the week let's do it all right so we got kind of a uh, a fun patreon question of the week so captain scissors asks what guilds do you like the most from either a play style and or a philosophy point of view <laughs> so i guess we should count all 10 guilds as possible even though we've only got five in standard right now yeah, I. It's kind of funny because the gills that are currently out in the current set are might even be like my bottom five. <laughs> <laughs> I just want Rakdos, baby. The Rakdos. Yeah, I'm a. So you know, probably for me right now, Boros is you know of of the ones that are legal and or not legal and standard, but are supported in standard right mm-hmm. now. I think Boros is my favorite, just because I learned how to play Magic you know, with with some beat-down pants on, you know? <laughs> uh, my, I think that my first, like, favorite draft archetype was in Theros, I and mean, it was just Boros heroic. Right. You know, and that was just, like, a super linear, super fast mm-hmm. um, way to way to do it. So I'm definitely a fan of that. And then as an extension, you know, Rakdos is definitely one of my more favorite things i think gruul as well as like another like monsters beatdown strategy is <laughs> close <laughs> to my heart but yeah i think that those would probably be up there for me okay so i guess gruul will, i think gruul probably be my pick you know the the strategies that i grew up with like as a little kid i was really i was really into rectos yeah. just black red the the deck that i took to FMs and stuff back in uh like invasion odyssey constructed was just like a deck with a whole bunch of terminates and burn spells and like random black and red creatures and you know it was a terrible deck but i had all these terminates and i loved terminating other people's creatures um probably as a response to my brother who mostly played giant green creatures and and i figured out early on that killing them for two mana was was the way to get ahead of thorn elementals and and six mana six sixes and that sort of thing so rakdos will always hold a special place in my heart but for limited formats in particular i do really like when there are interesting is it decks that are supported um and so i've i've really been enjoying this limited format because of the way that it's really cool how is it is like the quote unquote like science wizard (laughs) yeah (laughs) like mad scientist guild and if you play a good is it deck a lot of times like it makes you feel smart. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. definitely noticed that you do have a tendency to, to, to lean towards is it strategies. <laughs> um, I remember there was like I I can't remember which format this was, but you were so excited about this 2 1 flyer for two mana that was like really good in this is it beatdown strategy. Oh, oh, that was in Hour of Devastation. Yeah. I, I just really was all about um, the, the 2 1 prowess. With uh, the the ability that when it, with afflict too,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, yeah. I I mean I really like blue red in that format. Um, but but yeah yeah. In particular, the is it draft decks in this format? Yeah is, yeah. Are, are are really cool because you have to like navigate between the control and the aggressive cards and some of them work differently like some of the same cards work very differently depending on which end of the spectrum you're on and what your board looks like but like planning for a turn like two turns out where you're gonna sonic assault to tap their guy at the end of their turn and make them take two and then untap and sonic assault another guy and make them take two and then swing with your two fl- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then like maximize altitude on your piston fix cyclops and yeah, then attack yeah, yeah. Like, like just the way that you deal damage in these huge chunks like it, it's really rewarding for like hey you took the time you figured out who was going to win the race yeah. you 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 sequenced your cards appropriately that just like fills this need <laughs> in my heart to oh, like have figured the game out yeah so, yeah, yeah so yeah uh definitely and it, I, I love these is decks in limited and i love the that philosophy very much when i'm like brewing decks especially like Especially if I'm brewing for, like, casual purposes. If I want to build a brawl deck or if I want to build, like, an EDH deck, I definitely lean towards the Golgari end of the spectrum of things. I I do really enjoy grinding, especially in lower stakes sorts of things for some reason. Because even in standard and stuff, I like taking my free wins where I can find them, (laughs) and you you usually don't find them in Golgari. free wins are great. I don't care what anybody (laughs) says. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Like, probably kind of sums up my philosophy a little bit. Sure um yeah i like it cool all right awesome well that's it for us this week if you want to find us online you can find us at mtggrindcast.com. you can also support our patreon there you can click the link on the site or go to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast uh, find us on twitter i am tweeting from at mtg underscore grindcast and collins is also on twitter at collins Mullen. Yeah. Also, hit up our website if you are interested in booking Collins for some coaching. Still got some time, even between school and tournament prep, right? Yeah, my 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 evenings are getting are getting pretty pretty popular for coaching events. So, um, so yeah, if you want to get one of those slots. Definitely uh, check out when I'm available. Cool, and we are actually very close. We're only a couple of dollars off of hitting that goal for having a celebratory grindcast stream. Excellent. So that should hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, be coming up pretty soon. Um, come and hang out with Chris and I, probably in my apartment. <laughs> probably in your apartment. <laughs> yes, it'll yeah, <that'd> be great. <laughs> I mean, I I should. Have, my my computer is not in good shape right now, but once it's in working order, I should have a pretty good streaming setup going. So, sure. Yeah. So we can. And have. I also have one here, so it'll be fantastic. Fun cool well thanks to everybody so much for listening and until next time have a great week peace